This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Invest Talk. It is Tuesday, August 30th, August 30th, August 20th, 2019. And there's been a lot to follow the news, a lot of stuff going on as usual. Every day there's stuff going on, moves the market up and down, as we all know. It was down today, up yesterday. So what's next? No, no one can say for sure. We, we just don't know what drives the market on a day-to-day basis. That's why it's so hard for you to invest based on what's happening today or tomorrow or yesterday. That's really not how you should invest. It doesn't, that doesn't, it, in a day-to-day basis, the market can act like a spoiled child and go in any direction, throwing tantrums at times, which it's been doing lately. Long term, the market's very rational. All comes down to earnings and the prospect of earnings. So all those variables at play, Changing day to day to day shouldn't mean that you have to change day to day to day. It does not translate that you have to react to what you see today. You don't. You shouldn't. I'm Steve Peasley, and I thank you for joining me today. And I hope you will call me as well. This is a call-in show. You drive the show. You take charge and take whatever direction you want to go. And that's where we're going to go. So it's totally up to you. Uh, and, of course, the goal here for everybody and for myself included is financial freedom. Now, you know, what does that actually mean? Well, it means something different for everybody. How much money do you need to feel comfortable in your retirement? How much money do you need? See, once you know that you've gotten to that stage, then you can do what you want. Whatever it is, it could be working still. Doesn't doesn't matter. So we have this philosophy, philosophy of getting there. Get into that financial freedom of independent thinking and shared success. So we're going to share all our knowledge here so we can all be successful. Today in this hour, I'm going to do my best to help you get there, get to that financial freedom goal. And to do that, we have lines open for you to call and ask any questions you want. We're live right now. The number is 888-99-CHART. So real quickly, I want to let you know that my no-cost portfolio review consultation dates for August, September are fully booked. August, September are full. But demand has been pretty strong, so I'm going to return to San Jose on October 10th. Plus, I added a new date for New York City, and that's going to be Thursday, November 7th. I know it seems like a far, far out there, but it comes around pretty darn fast. So if you want to meet with me, set up your times. Just give us a call. We'll, we'll Send me an email. Say you want to meet. We'll be in touch and we'll set up a time for you. So don't delay. Don't. Go to investtalk.com. Send me an email. Register. You can register there. Okay? Now, our main talking point today, a new ranking from Realtor.com. Realtor.com has revealed that the country's up-and-coming metro areas where job markets are strong and high-earning millennials are increasingly putting down roots, we'll, we're going to look at them. There's nine smaller cities preferred by millennials for low home prices and robust economies. Now, I looked at them. Uh, not some place. Some of them, most of them are not places I would want to live. But millennials want to live there, so we're going to talk about those. Now, I've got other things we're going to talk about, too. Why 401ks and people that age 60 
are only at about $100,000. Okay, so age 60 people with 401ks, why is it only at $100,000? You know, I've been whining about that for some time that, you know, older people are not saving enough money, but there's very legitimate reasons why that is the case. That it's not, it should be two, three, four hundred thousand dollars if they saved and invested over all the years for the 401k. So, what are the reasons? Go over them. When, how, and what a retirement will look like to you and your partner. What's it going to look like? You know, you have you and your partner, you're going to have to agree. Sometimes you don't, you got to be on the same page. And what are you wasting money on instead of investing? I have seven items people are wasting money on instead of investing. Doesn't surprise me on these items. It shouldn't surprise you, but we're going to talk about that. So those are going to be on the uh, agenda today. But, of course, your calls drive the show. So where do you want it to go? Where do you want to take it? The Dow is down 173. The Nasdaq down 54. And the S&P down 23. The market was a little bit better than that during the day. And it kind of tailed off at the end of the day. So first, okay, 888-99 charters are our number. Let's go talk to Noel in Napa Valley. How you doing, Noel? Great, Steve. Um, yeah, I was kind of interested. I was curious your, what your thoughts are uh, on Arrowhead Pharmaceutical, A-R-W-R. Uh, and if, okay. if it looks... Uh, Okay, what would be a good entry point? Okay. Uh, looks like it's right at a 52-week high. It's been doing very well all year. It went from, what, $11 or so, and now it's at twenty three seventy two today. Arrowhead Pharmaceuticals develops uh, pain interference and peptide drug conjugates for a wide range of diseases. So that's what it does. It's going to make $0.75 cents a, a, this year per share, 2019. It's never made money other than this year. This will be the first year it will make money, and they have scheduled to lose money next year. But their sales are growing dramatically, starting about a year ago. Quarter over quarter, they went from $11 million to $34 million to $48 million, and now back to 42. So from 11 to 42, 43 million in a year, that's pretty pretty good growth. Pretty pretty dynamic growth. $33 stock, high PE, uh, and next year they're not going to have any earnings. So you got to be very careful. This is a pretty speculative stock, and it's made a very, very good run already. Uh, I would, I'd have to look into it. I find, I'd like to find out why has it made that great run. Why is it making $0.75 cents a share this year and then losing money next year? What, what seems to be the problem? They don't have much debt. So mutual funds have been buying pretty strongly in the last year, and that's probably what's driven the stock up. You wanted to buy a point. I, I think uh, about nineteen nineteen $19 to $20 area is a perfect buy point. If it ever got down there, that's that's where you want to buy it. That's very strong support. Mm-hmm. And it also has strong support at 27 around 27 So those are the two very strong points of support. So if it falls down to there, they probably would stop falling. No, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. ARWR, it's a small company, $3.2 billion in size. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Steve Peasley. And let me remind you that the Invest Talk radio program and its podcast replays provide a daily dose of market news with our unbiased commentary. 
And we have a fairly new offering, Talk Academy. I was working on it today for this week. It's on online training classes covering a wide variety of financial investment subjects. In depth, by the way. Now I'm going to talk about REITs this Thursday, 9 o'clock. That's my next class, Thursday, 9 o'clock. REITs, Real Estate Investment Trust. You can learn more at investtalkacademy.com. Investtalkacademy.com. We're headed into the break, and I'm taking your questions at 888-99-CHART. It's been a wild ride in the market, so strap on your wrist belt and pop in your earbuds. This is Invest Talk, and now more than ever, you need unbiased investing guidance. Tell your investor friends and neighbors that Steve Peasley is on duty and taking listener questions now. 888-99-CHART. 888-992-4278. Let's look at some of the news items today. Gold, 1506 an ounce. Had a little bounce today. Gold has been very good so far this year, so $1,506 is quite quite much better than it was a year ago. Oil at $55 a barrel. I mean, worldwide demand has slowed. And, you know, gasoline in the United States has slowed the last over the last few years. So uh, it's actually gone down. Gasoline price, $2.60 a gallon on average across the United States, but not here in California. Bitcoin was at $10,000 per coin today. Many traders consider Bitcoin a kind of a fringe asset class. Is it? Is it a reliable investment asset class? And my answer will be no. It's far too new, and no one has figured out how to value how it, how the value is determined other than what people think. There's no way to value it. So that kind of turns me off as an asset. You can't relate it to you know, the value of the cost of it. You can't relate it to much. So, you know, I, I, be, I stay away from it. Here in the United States, our economy is still pretty strong. Consumer spending is very good. And, you know, consumer spending represents about 70% of our economy. However, the global economy is suffering. Central banks around the world are trying to stimulate their economies, and they're doing it by printing money again, and they're going to lower rates, and many places, uh, uh, government bonds are below zero negative rates in Europe, Japan. Have you noticed those negative rates hasn't worked? Why are they doing it if it's not working? they got to try something else. That is not working. It only distorts things. It makes things worse, not better. How come? I don't understand why they don't get this. Why they don't see it as, you know, oh, why don't we just lower rates again? Well, why don't we make people buy our, 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 our um, pay us to buy our? It doesn't work economically. It's not working. I mean, I don't know what they're thinking is. They tried it and it doesn't work. It's been I mean, negative rates have been around for several years now. In Europe, Japan has it improved their economies? No. Doesn't make sense to me why they keep pushing on the, yeah. You know, what's the, what's that? What was uh, Frank? Uh, whose definition of insanity was doing the same thing over and over and over again and having the doing and getting the same results and you still keep doing it? That was Einstein, I think. I don't know. Anyways, you see the news: the government's targeting select big tech companies, the Fang stocks. So the things the government is looking at them, and I I warned you on the show that you know you get too big, you get attacked. 
IBM got it. Microsoft got it. Microsoft's back again. You know, Microsoft a number of years ago was attacked and and finally it went away. The government went away, and Microsoft's bigger than it ever was. So, but the government's going to come after these the big fang stocks. They're coming after them. They are coming after them. Not that they're going to. They are. In one way, they're investigating their monopolistic practices, quote unquote. And you know, have you ever noticed that if the government looks for something, they find it? <laughs> you cannot fight the government. It's just kind of a losing proposition. They got unlimited power there. So all you can do is try to negotiate the best deal you can. And Amazon's going to be in the in the crosshairs. Trust me on this. Amazon, it will. Facebook will be too. So consumer food behaviors are changing people are not consuming cereals as much as they used to of course that's going to hurt certain brands we all know that right you know people are not eating the puffed rice and wheat flakes and oat clusters like they used to that was a standard morning breakfast when i was growing up right i oatmeal was my mom made oatmeal almost every day i went to school when i was little kellogg company and post holdings and general mills they're the three major uh, producers, and they're they're battling to re-energize their markets. Maybe making healthier foods or different flavors. I don't know, but they're working on it. But they're the ones that are suffering. Market shares falling. Remember that in April, consumer packaged goods company Post Holdings said it was going to file the, a, a initial public offering involving its active nutritious business. Remember that that was Post. And the deal was, you know, it was going to split off and IPO part of its company, the ready-to-drink protein shakes and nutritional bars and nutritional supplements. I wonder what's going on with that. I don't know what's going on with that. Anyways, this is Invest Talk, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley. And if you've been listening to Invest Talk for a while, you have heard me say that I believe every investor should determine their own individual risk tolerance. You have to understand how much risk you're willing to take, and you have to understand how to how to measure it, how to measure how much you want and how much your portfolio is taking. And we have a tool for that. Okay, it's free. Uh, investtalk.com, investtalk.com, pick the Riskalyze, Riskalyze Risk Questionnaire. But now I'm ready to take your questions. 99 chart. The trading month so far has been volatile. You are working toward financial freedom and you might want a little help. So Steve Peasley is here taking your questions now. Call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART, let's talk to Tendu. How you doing, Tendu, in North Carolina? Hi, Steve. I'm doing good. Thanks um, for the call. I wanted to ask you about Caterpillar. So mm-hmm. at this price, it, it went down uh, quite a bit. So at this pri- price, is it a bargain? What do you think about it? It is a bargain. Yes, Tendu, it is a bargain. I don't know if I'd buy it yet, though. This, uh, this, uh-huh. These types of companies, this company, everybody knows who Caterpillar is, manufactures construction, mining equipment, diesel, and natural gas engine, and it's a huge worldwide company, right? 
65, 66 billion dollars in size. And the reason why it's suffering is because most of the world is, you know, is not doing very well. And even in the United States, we're doing better, but we're, our growth has slowed down from a year ago, but we're still growing. China's still growing, but it's slowed down much, much slower than it was. So, uh, Caterpillar is still going to make money. It always has made money. It's going to increase its money by 5% this year and another 4% next year. So, it's pretty darn steady. The, go ahead. Did you have a question? Yeah. So, is that growth good enough? 5% it, it, It's good enough, but it's really, really slow. The question is, is has a bottom. What you want to know is, that has the stock finally settled down to a, the low it's going to be at? And I'm I'm thinking that it's getting close. It could be at $116 a share because that's a 10 PE, and a 10 PE is fairly low. Uh, five year the low of the five year range is 10. It's very good. You might you might it might be the bottom here in the uh, 110 to 115 dollar area. But I think it's so, going down. Is it because its uh, sales are going down? So if it is going down, is it long term is going to go even down more? Or well, I think it depend on the world economy. I don't. I think the world economy is still slowing. So I think you might be too early getting into this. You could easily get into the, you know, the, get into, go down to a hundred dollars easy, easy. Um, I would probably wait. You want to, you know, you want to pick up Caterpillar at at the worst part of the economy and the economy looks the worst and it doesn't look it, it you know the federal governments around the world are just now starting to to do some uh, quantitative easing here um, I think I think if we lower our rates another two two three maybe four quarter points you know one full percentage point over the next year I think that will be the bottom within the next year of Caterpillar because long term it's a good solid company it will work thanks for the call Tandu Caterpillar, C-A-T, everybody. Let's go to John in San Jose. Negative, he wants to talk about negative interest rates. How are you doing, John? Good. How are you, Mr. Enjoy yourself. I'm good. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, I have a question about this recent uh, uh, phenomenon of negative interest rates in Germany or parts of Europe. Uh-huh. Yes. Mm-hmm. Can you help me understand why would anybody buy a bond that uh, that is going to pay you less at maturity than what you bought for? Okay, yeah, someone asked that question last week, and this is the answer. It's it's not it's not it's not uh, a difficult answer. You and I, uh, John, we wouldn't do it, right? It makes no sense. Why would I loan my government money by buying their bonds and then pay them to lend them my own money? Who would do that? No one would do that. Do you know who does that? When the government makes makes entities buy their bonds. For instance, banks, financial institutions. They the governments around the world makes their financial institutions own a certain amount of government bonds for safety's sake, for security of the of their of their company. You know, like Goldman Sachs would have to own a, has to own a number of US Treasury bonds. They're required to. Goldman Sachs, many of the banks, uh, Wells Fargo, every Bank of America, every one of them has to own a certain amount of safe, quote-unquote, safe securities, and everybody interprets that to mean bonds, government bonds. So the government 
has a built-in customer that has to buy them. So they said, oh, they can lower it to any way they want. And they do. That's who buys them. They don't really want to. They'd rather not. Uh, okay, that can explain it. So it's not for retail customers who are opting to buy this, or is there any advantage no. for retail people like us? Then? No, no advantage whatsoever. It's all no. disadvantage to you and me. So yeah, we don't, we won't buy them. Okay. What's one of the reasons why, okay. uh, uh, John? One of the reasons why our ten-year Treasury yields are going down is because we're attracting all these foreign investors individuals into our treasuries because you're getting two percent at least you're getting something you know and, and it's safe so that's why one of the reasons why our yields are coming down you know besides the fed lowering it but remember the fed can only control that one rate the overnight rate the amount the rate they charge banks to borrow money from any of the treasury u.s bonds that that's tr- controlled by the market and the more demand there are for them the less interest is paid and there's a lot of demand out there so, appreciate the call, though. It's a good question. Most of our investment invest, uh, listeners are working hard to achieve financial freedom. I am. You are. We know. We all are. It takes decades, right? It really does. It's not something you can just do in a few years. It takes a long time. Who was the American businessman that, by the time he died, way back in 1831, had amassed a fortune far larger than today's well-known billionaires? A hint. When adjusted for inflation, this man was far richer than Mark Zuckerberg is today. I'll have the answer for you next, but for now, I'm Steve Peasley, and I'm ready to take your questions at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial, where they describe their services as independent thinking, shared success. And this philosophy is why KPP Financial can be of great value to investors. KPP principals Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are committed to unbiased guidance. They don't upsell clients into expensive and questionable investments. Instead, Steve and Justin provide honest opinions and proven strategies based on the individual's current portfolio and risk tolerance. Working with KPP Financial, you can be assured of consistent dedication toward the goal of helping you achieve financial freedom. You can get things started with a phone call or a simple message through investtalk.com. Take the next step toward your financial freedom. Contact KPP Financial. This is InvestTalk. Summer is moving fast and your path to financial freedom begins with the right strategy. You've got questions, Steve and Justin have answers. Call now, 888-99-CHART. Okay, 888-99-CHART, that's our number. Time to give me a call. Okay, remember I asked before the break, who was the American businessman that by the time he died way back in 1831 had a massive fortune far larger than today's well-known billionaires? Now, the people that historically accounted for the wealth in America weren't always flashy showbiz types, you know, or big celebrity CEOs. They weren't. Some were just simply hardworking businessmen. And I'll compare two, two of them. Okay, we're talking about Zuckerberg first at Facebook, right? He, he was born in 1984, and he's worth $73.6 $74 billion. We'll round it off. That's a pretty big chunk of chain, right? And I think you can have financial freedom with that kind of money. 
Next, how about Stephen Girard? He was born in 1750 in France and was a philanthropist, a philanthropist, you know, charity guy, banker, naturalized American citizen. Gerard was the fourth richest American in the history of the country. Stephen Gerard was so rich that he actually bailed out the U.S. government after the War of 1812. Bailed out the whole government. So he's credited for saving the, our, the United States at that time. Now remember, Zuckerberg had uh, what, $73 billion? Well, Gerard died in Philadelphia in 1831. He was the wealthiest man in America at the time and adjusted for inflation, his net worth in 2019 dollars was $800 billion. Zuckerberg is $73 billion. He was $800 billion. Now, of course, the first thing thought to come to my mind when I saw that number is, well, what did he do with it? What happened to it? Gerard had no children. He left the bulk of his fortune to charitable causes focused on helping orphans. See, when you have that kind of money, that's what you do. You leave it behind to help people, to help others. That's what you do. I think everybody should do that with any kind of wealth. I mean, how else, what else are you going to do with that kind of money? You can't take it with you. Okay. I had an email question come in today. I was want, And the question is, I was wondering if you would be able to talk a little bit about the future of crude oil. I know it's cyclical. Would you expect oil to just decrease within the next couple of months? Is it smart to buy crude now? Where do you see crude oil moving in the short term? I think crude oil in the short term is probably going to get weaker. Not stronger, weaker because the world economy is going. Now, if you're talking about future, I think oil probably still has a pretty secure, safe, growing future. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't be moving toward more and more clean energy. It does. I think we will. But you have to think in worldwide terms, not just here in the United States. Remember, people all over the world don't, are, don't have the standard of living we have. They would like to have that. And their economies are growing. And the cheapest, easiest energy source is oil. I hate to say that, but it's true. I, you know, Natural gas is pretty cheap and clean, too. But I still think it has a pretty good future. So I don't know. You want to know what's, where it's going to go in a month or two? Well, you know, I think it's going to go down, but that's a pretty short time span to try to figure out where something's going to go. Okay. 888-99-CHARTER is our number, everybody. 888-992-4278. I had another question from Mike. Um, he, he wants to know um, in general about... You know, when you're married and you're retired and you're living off your income, you know, your financial freedom pot of money, is there any benefit to take more earlier or later based on your marriage? Because what if one partner dies before the other? Usually men die before the women. Would it be smarter to adjust the withdrawal rate based on, you know, those kinds of things or the health of one partner versus the other? And I gave this some thought. And I, I said, you know, this is way too, uh, probably way too difficult to, to try to determine if it would be advantageous to change withdrawal rates based on husband, wife, or partner's health. 
or who's going to live longer. You really don't know. It, it's 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 almost it's a really a, a crapshoot. You know, you're rolling the dice. You don't know. So I think just a normal withdrawal rate and just maintain it would probably be your best bet. And what's a withdrawal rate of your pot of money? What's a safe withdrawal rate? Um, between three and five percent. I usually use four to four and a half percent. I I think four and a half percent is a pretty safe withdrawal rate. Of, of your nest egg and you you should never run out of money if you invest that money conservatively that doesn't mean just leave it in the bank money market that's too conservatively but you don't have to be aggressive with it either but buying income producing assets even laddered bonds all that will work fine over a long period of time you'll make uh, a decent return enough to take that money and live off the return never touch the principal my main talking point today, the nine smaller cities preferred by millennials for low home prices and robust economies. I don't know if you, you might be able to guess some of these, but uh, I only guessed one, really. And I guessed a state, but it wasn't a city. Um, the, 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 number, the number nine is New Hampshire, which I would have never guessed because New Hampshire is pretty expensive. Housing, median housing there is $325,000. Median income is 105000 So what they were, what, what they're using is the share of the income versus the price of the housing and is relatively less expensive because of that. The second one is, uh, where was it? Uh, Arlington, Texas. And I had a feeling there would be somewhere in Texas because I know property values are pretty low. And there's some good, decent salaries. The oil industry produces some de- decent salaries. The salaries there average 64000 a house of 215000 Then Melrose, Massachusetts. Melrose, Massachusetts, I wouldn't have guessed that one because of uh, that medium listing house is 629000 I don't know how that got on the list. And the income is 99000 uh, uh, Lavona, Michigan is number six. Um, number four or five is Rochester, New York. Uh, number four is Shawnee, Kansas. Um, and number three is Boise, Idaho. That was the guess I had was Boise, Idaho. I did guess Boise. Um, and really, the, uh, number two is Omaha. Number one is uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I, 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 you, you, when you're retiring... Everybody considers weather, whether you want to live in those really cold climates. No, no one wants to retire to really cold climates. And Boise, Idaho, it can get cold, but not nearly as cold as Shawnee, Kansas, or Rochester, New York. In Rochester, New York, man, you're going to dig yourself out of you know six foot of snow. I mean, not my not my choice to live. I can tell you that. Not where I want to live. Okay, 888-99-CHART. I'm Steve Peasley, and you're listening to Invest Talk. So, obviously, you understand the importance of unbiased guidance, hopefully, and experience market commentary and, and analysis. That's what we do here. I encourage you to consider subscribing to our KPP Premium Newsletter. It's written and distributed every Friday. I do the bulk of the writing of that newsletter every Friday. It takes a lot of effort for me. Now, in the newsletter, you get some, you know, a lot of valuable information. I think you know, week we look at. I always look at it the week and take a look at what was uh, going on in that week economically and in the market. Uh, that's the first section. A couple of stock ideas. You know, there's a section on that portfolio management section, 
and uh, consumer watch section, you know, four basic sections every week. You can subscribe by going to investtalk.com, KPP Premium Newsletter. And now I'm ready to take your questions, 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk, and if you live or work anywhere in Southern California or the New York City area, Steve Peasley has added new dates to his portfolio review consultation opportunities. Serious investors understand that a balanced portfolio is essential to achieving financial freedom. And Steve Peasley can sit down with you, analyze your positions, and then offer to make strategic improvements. Steve has added Thursday, October 10th for San Jose, and he's added Thursday, November 7th for New York City. There is no cost and no obligation. Don't delay. Head to the Portfolio Review page at investtalk.com and register now. The InvestTalk radio and podcast continues. The phone lines are open. Call with your questions. 888-99-CHART. I was calling because I really think this market is bearish and at some point it's going to tank. And I just recently learned about inverse ETFs and I was looking up information on it. And it said that it's never a good idea to hold it. But I was trying to figure out why would it be a bad idea to hold the inverse ETF when I think that the market will be bearish and that it will crash and go down significantly in the coming months to years. Please give me an answer on this. I'm very new to the topic, and I'd love to know. Thank you. Okay. So this is you're, you're a little bit misinterpreting what they're saying. They're saying it's never good to hold it. That word hold is what you're focusing on here. It is never good to hold inverse, inverse ETFs. In other words, those are uh, the ETFs that go up, uh, market ETFs. They would go up when the market goes down. Those are good hedges. When this says hold it, they mean as a long-term investment is not a good, it is a good short-term hedge or short-term device for market volatility. Down market volatility, it works very good as a hedge against that. So, but not, it's a terrible long-term hold idea. Why? Because the market has a bias to the upside over long-term. It goes up. It doesn't go down. It goes up. So, if the bias is at the upside, why are you holding on to something that goes down when that market goes up long term? You wouldn't. It makes no sense. See, that's why it's not a good device to hold for the long term. Hold for the long term. It's a good device to hedge against short-term downward movements. Now, the difficulty is, is when do you get in and when do you get out? Because there you're trying to time the market, and that is pretty darn difficult. Now, we do have in one of our managed accounts, we do own up to 20, 25 uh, of these types of short ETFs, shorting the market, expecting the market to go down, and they go up. But we probably got in too early. No, not probably. We got in too early to those. Okay? Uh, too early. See, that's the difficulty. Now it's working. We're doing great now. But, you know, six months ago, I wasn't doing so good. You see, it did great in December when the market fell hard. <laughs> but from then, from January to, to up to a month ago, it did be terrible. And we were still holding on to those short ETFs. See, they're not good to hold for long term. So we'll be getting out of them 
happen when we think it's the proper time. Let's go to Jeannie in San Diego. How are you doing, Jeannie? Hi, Steve. Can you, you hear me? Yes, I can. Thank you for the call. Okay, hi. Thank you for the show. Thank you and Justin very much. Uh, love your show very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. I'm calling about I'm calling about mortgages because yesterday you were talking about paying off the mortgage um, mm -hmm. in increments of every two weeks instead of once a month and getting ahead that way. Yes. What would happen, or would it be possible to pay six months all at once ahead of time? Yes. What that would do, you can do that. Um, what that would do is you, the best way to do it is write, uh, I always did when I paid off extra on my house until I paid it off, is I'd write two checks, one for the regular mortgage payment and then one for uh, the additional I wanted to apply to the principal. Now, I notice that a lot of bank statements have two spaces on the on the bill that you can write this is to go to this is a payment this is to go to the principal so either way what would happen is is it would take down your principal immediately right because you paid six months of of extra on that so your principal will come down that much money and what that means is then when you've paid on your monthly payments as you pay your monthly payments every monthly payment would be put pulling down the principal more than it would if you didn't make that big payment so, in other words, you would reduce the length of time of your mortgage much shorter. That's what that's doing. So, your ultimate payout will be much less because every month, more of that is going to principal as opposed to just interest, going to the principal, taking the amount that you owe down faster. So, that's what it would do. Did you understand that, Jeannie? All right. Thank yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for the, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, I think it's a good idea to pay extra, and one of the ways is to pay every two weeks, you know, uh, instead of once a month. Uh, another one is to pay one every year, pay one extra payment, pay 13 payments instead of 12. Another way to do it is just pay an extra 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 200 bucks a month, just every month. Just get used to it. I mean, there's different ways you can pay that down. The goal is to have that paid off by the time you retire, because you have an now big asset there. Home Depot shares were trading around $216 per share, up about 4%. Sales were short, fell short, and they've lowered their sales outlook for the year amid fears that the trade wars will slow consumer spending. But since they beat expectations, Home Depot is doing pretty good, doing okay. With home prices high, people are still willing to invest in their current home. To fix it up, to improve it, that's what Home Depot does the best when people are buying stuff to fix up their house. And mortgages are low. A housing market is pretty decent still. We've talked about that. No, home sales, existing home sales, new home sales. So it's still pretty good. So kind of that's what's going on there. This is Invest Talk. I'm Steve Peasley. We have one goal here, to help you achieve financial freedom. And our work continues after this break, so get your questions in now, 888-99-CHART. On the next Invest Talk, big tech is back in the regulatory crosshairs, and one stock could be especially vulnerable. That story tomorrow. But now Steve Peasley is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your questions. Call Steve 
888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. It's Lee from North Carolina. Thanks for the show. You guys do a great job. I'm calling about Broadcom, AVGO. Most of the metrics that I'm looking at right now seem to show that it's relatively uh, underpriced at this at this level. I'm looking at future cash flows for PE and PEG ratio. The only downside to this one is they do have exposure to China. So I'd like to get your thoughts uh, if you think it's a buy at this level or if you feel like it should drop further before it's a buy. I look forward to hearing the answer on the podcast. Thanks. Okay, it's Broadcom, AVGO, Design of Analog, ICS for Telecom, Industrial, Automotive, and Computer Markets. It's a $111 billion company, so it's a mega cap company. Going to make $21.37 a share this year, up 3%, and up 10% more next year, $23.56. And at $280 a share, that's fairly inexpensive. It's like a 12 PE range, right? And the range is 10 to 22, so it's at the lower end. Return equity is very good at 40%. So, yeah, it's low price compared to its fundamentals if we look at them now. But yeah, you left one thing out of your 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 uh, description here, and that is where we are in the economic cycle. Why is it, why is this type of stock in many of these trading at these low PE ratios? And the and it's because of the economic cycle we're in. We're we're in the the you know if we were as a nine inning baseball game, we're in the seventh eighth inning of the economic cycle, and after the ninth inning, it's going to fall. So everybody is thinking that you know these these kinds of stocks, these computer stocks, well, earnings and sales will suffer with the world economy going down, and so therefore they've been traded down. Now, it's a good value, as you point out, it is. Pays a 3.8 percent dividend, has a decent PE, but I think it's going to go down further. It's trading above the 200-day moving average, and that 200-day moving average has been acting, which is right now $269. That 200-day moving average has been acting as pretty strong support for the last eight months. It's hit that, uh, hit it at the beginning of the year, it hit it in uh, May, June, and now hit it again just just now recently. It's bounced off each time, but it also has a lower high. It peaked in April, and it made another peak here in July, but it was lower than the peak before. So you have higher lows and lower highs. So that means it's going to break. That makes it forms a triangle, and it's going to break one way or another. And my gut feeling is it probably has a way to go down first. That's what I think anyways. So I'd be patient. I think it's a good stock, but I'd be patient. Now, why are 401ks for the average 60-year-old only at 100000 bucks? You know, and because if, if they started investing when they were started their work life, they should have two, three times that much money. Well, there is valid reasons. First of all, many 60-year-olds didn't have access to a 401k when they started their career. When I was young, there was no 401k. There was no such thing. So they didn't have access to all their working years to a 401k. Some jobs didn't offer and still don't offer 401ks today. So that excuse the average, right? You're 60 years old, you only have this much saved. Well, what if they're what if you could just you just started? What if your company just put on a 401k? What if you only been doing it in the last 10 years? Well, those some are very valid reasons. Another reason is the ability to 
to 60-year-olds to be able to touch the 401k over all these years. In other words, take money out. They can take money out. You might be penalized. I've seen it happen. You might be penalized and pay taxes on it, but you might need the money and it's leaking assets. And another one is 401ks are kind of expensive. Kind of. They're not reasonably expensive, but they're kind of on the expensive side. You know, you have to pay the the the, uh, the internal cost of the mutual funds that you're buying and then the cost of maintaining the 401k. There's costs involved that you have to pay. It's still a very good instrument for people that they have it available to retire. So if you have a 401k, make sure you use it, especially if your employer is matching. That's free money. You want the free money. Okay. I'm Steve Peasley, and this completes another InvestTalk program. I'll be back tomorrow, and please tell your friends and family and anybody else who have, might have interest in our show. I really appreciate it. And I have added new dates for my uh, portfolio reviews, no-cost portfolio reviews in San Jose and in New York. So check that out. Learn more by going to and register at InvestTalk.com. Have a good night, everybody. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. 